Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there, and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Alf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Susie Bat, crypto ecosystem lead at Opera. Susie's obsession with blockchain technology started while researching how Syrian refugees are processed and receive aid in Jordan. Susie went on to work at Consensus in 2018 before joining Opera two years ago. Opera has been innovating in the browser space for more than 25 years and currently has more than 350 million active users. Susie, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Thanks, Wade. Thanks, all. Great to have you on. Yeah, really. Thanks. We're excited Thanks about for having me. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited about this conversation. And so, as I mentioned very briefly in the bio, you have this incredibly interesting and unique entry point into blockchain technology. I'd love for you to kind of dive deep in and give us the full background, full story of how you first discovered blockchain tech. Um, yeah, you know, that's the cool thing about crypto is that there was, there's been so many different entry points. Um, so if you're looking to get into Web3, um, you know, there is a will. If there's a will, there's a way. Um, I, in my previous life, I worked for USAID, which is part of US State Department and the World Bank. And I was focused mostly on um, climate work. Um, and I discovered that uh, through some colleagues that there was this technology called blockchain that was being used uh, for Syrian refugees in Jordanian camps. And they were um, putting biometric scan data uh, on the block on blockchain. Um, this is a private UN developed blockchain with the help of consensus. And um, instead of um, taking six weeks to reconcile bank statements, it, um, it really took six seconds to process. Um, so these refugees would go through, procure whatever they needed, their tea, their sugar, um, uh, food items without a voucher. So, you know, most um, uh, humanitarian organizations have paper vouchers, which you redeem, and there's a whole back-end process. Um, basically, these refugees who probably don't have ID and don't have um, currency with them, fiat, would then go in and, and do their biometric scan, take what they needed, and go. So it was saving millions of dollars on the front end um, for the UN and, and bank uh, and bank fees to reconcile uh, payments. And it was also like just the throughput and, and the elimination of fraud um, in the process, which is rampant. Um, and um, I was like, what? The UN is 
is like being efficient and there's less bureaucracy. I mean, we all kind of know that. I'm not just being cheeky, but um, then I was like, I got to figure out what this is. Um, and so I, you know, reached into like my friends group and had some friends who were involved at World Economic Forum and they made introductions to someone at Consensus who was an MD and I and I was like, I'll do anything. I will do anything, I just need to learn. Um, and that was 2017, 2018. And at the time, um, you know, a consensus was like the um, sandbox for everything Ethereum, obviously, because Joe Lubin is one of the co-founders. And so I worked um, in the Bushwick office um, in Consensus Academy, we were training um, thousands of devs on Solidity to build out the ecosystem. And I just learned how, I mean, I like ran my own node on Geth and um, using Homebrew and, you know, sat behind the guys from MetaMask and um, uh, just soaked it all in and made the best of friends from um, everyone in that kind of era. And that That's, was like, I never turned back. It's such a cool story. Like I can tell you, we've interviewed a lot of people and we always ask their sort of <laughs> background and how they were introduced to crypto. And I'd argue this is the most unique in that. <laughs> totally. In that it's <laughs> totally. a story. No, for real though, because usually it's, usually it's, oh, I heard it. I heard the name through a friend. I heard, I heard a Bitcoin or I heard of Ethereum or something. And you know, I, I started dabbling and I wanted to invest, you know, it usually has to do with like the, the money aspect, the financial and investment aspect is what draws people in. So it's so cool to hear a story where someone was seeing it in a real life use case that was making lives and business better and, yeah. and got intrigued and then moved into the space that honestly is is a lot different. And yeah, just maybe a follow up question here is, you know, why do you think that we don't hear as many of those stories? And it's usually more on the, the sort of like investment end of things. I mean, I'm, I do hear of those stories. I was on Blockchain for Social Impact um, board for quite a few years, and that's all we worked on. Mm -hmm. um, UN um, has um, a global innovation group that works on these types of use, use cases. But I think for your listeners, it's important to take away that whatever animates you, whatever you feel passionate about, you can make that that leap over the chasm into web three from whatever angle, like that's the beauty of this technology that if you're into supply chain, go knock yourself out. Like if you're, you, you know, you can, if you're into um, ready wear fabrication in um, high-end haute couture, that there's a place for you there too. Um, but you just have to find out who's doing the work who do you want to work for um, and, you know, write that list together and figure out, um, you know, and ask people like, do you know anybody at these companies? Do you know anybody in, uh, you know, do you know this person? And, and that's how I found myself at Consensus. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Now, <laughs> switching gears a little bit here, but 
I saw on another podcast that uh, I heard you say that you pay your uh, children's allowance in crypto. So I'm curious, <laughs> what made you decide to do that? What do your children think of that? What's their understanding of crypto? So, you know, when they were born, I set up Gmail accounts for them. And I would email them or send pictures like I would be on the train or, you know, something cute would happen or, and, and, you know, they were so little, they were like, they wouldn't get it, but I was just like this gushy mom. So I would email them, um, photos or sound clips, you know, of their voice changing. And then when I joined, um, you know, when I got into blockchain, I was like, okay, this is like very web y like what, how am I going to elevate this? And so I opened up a MetaMask um, accounts for them, um, and you know you can you can have sub accounts. So I would move from that. Um, and now that they're older and they can actually they actually know what they're doing, I've had to get them out of my account. So they have their own Opera wallets within the browser. That's like I'm going to shell a little bit. Um, that's natively um, embedded in the browser. So by virtue of having Opera Crypto Browser or Opera GX Browser, because they're all really big gamers, um, they can just open up the, the wallet without the KYC because it's non-custodial and they can, you know, trade or move money. I mean, they're not really trading, but they are playing Axie and some other blockchain games. Hmm. Um, and like, I just watch them. I learn what the friction points are from watching like eight, my eight, 10 and 13 year olds um, figure out like, why do I need 24 words? Why can't there just be 14, you know, 12 or why, why any at all? Like, why can't you just like stick your tongue out and like they read <laughs> it, you know? Um, so they're sort of like my in-house beta testers. You've done a talk, I think it was ECC on on Generation Alpha, which sounds like that's where where your kids would fall into that age category or demographic. What do you notice about just that generation, some of their tendencies, and and how do you think they will be in terms of crypto adoption when so many of of us or like the the older demographics have found it quite challenging or confusing to the average person? Do you think this will be a smoother onboarding for this Generation Alpha? So they are mo mobile first, they're um, crypto first, or will be, you know, Generation Alpha is uh, from, I think, 2009 to 2025. And the, um, the estimate is 2 billion people in Gen Alpha by 2025. Wow. I mean, that's an enormous amount of new talent, new users, new innovation, um, new way of living, right? These kids have been through race riots and a pandemic. They've been homeschooled. They've been without their friends. They've learned on computers. Like my daughter's, you know, multiplying, was multiplying, dividing fractions on a computer. And I was like, I can't even, I don't even know how to make a fraction on a computer, you know? Um, but I, I think um, with all this, influx of talent and design first, gamification first, like these kids grown up on Roblox, they know how to trade, they know what a scam is, they've learned that. 
Um, they they ask each other, like, is this a good trade? Should I be doing this? Um, and they learn from like getting blown up and 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 losing their shirts. But um, I think this this movement towards the gamification of everything um, and being so close to um, gamers and influencers and KOLs um, will further enhance that space um, and these gated communities. Like they turned to me and they were like, mom, you're on Discord? What are you doing on Discord? And I was like, back off guys. Like I was on Discord first, you know? Um, but, but I think we, uh, you know, at Opera also realized like if we want to exist, we've got to pivot and keep evolving to this new generation. Like, you know, some of these browsers are, are offering like cashbacks and, um, you know, tokens for browsing. It's like, wah, wah, wah. like, okay, like give me crypto back, give me something else back, give me unlimited features or free, you know, VPN. So like we did, um, like we can't expect this generation to adopt what we have built. We've got to keep our eyes open and see how they're using things and how they want to live and how they're socializing. I think that's a great sort of transition to opera and, and, but maybe we can take a step back. Can you just tell for, for those who aren't familiar with opera as a brand or product line, can you explain, you know, what opera is all about and, and sort of where your part in opera is and, and, and maybe more on the crypto side, obviously as well. Would love to. So Opera is based in Oslo, Norway, and I can see by your name that you're from Scandinavia too, Ulf. My, yeah, <laughs> my Swedish. name is Swedish. Yeah, that's right. You're Swedish. Okay. So Opera is a Norwegian company um, um, established in the mid-90s. It was um, the first browser natively embedded in a mobile phone. So Ericsson wow. and Nokia back in the day had Opera browser. It was the flagship browser, the Red O. Um, they were so, they're, they're still so innovative and nimble. They invented the tab. This is like something that I learned when I joined. I thought Google had, but it was actually Opera. Mm -hmm. um, they've um, had security features in place. They've um, sandboxed a few products that then went um, uh, wild in popularity. Um, one case being Opera Mini, which is like the number one browser in Africa. It's, um, I call it like a low impact wallet. It's, it's, um, enables the user who doesn't have access to Wi-Fi or very limited cellular network in remote areas or in costly areas, um, to interact um, as a browser and also now with a crypto wallet embedded in. Um, and so, and then we've also, we also um, launched um, two years ago, Opera GX, which is the number one gaming browser. Um, and that was, they were all kind of built in these small, um, you know, let's try it out. Let's test it. Let's see how it goes. And um, with innovation and time and great leadership, it's evolved to be its own standalone product. So we have four, the flagship, uh, GX, Mini, and Opera Crypto, which we just 
launched in January. So in the same vein, we're seeing how this goes. Um, there are different philosophies, you know, um, for each product. Um, however, design, security, crypto wallet are, you know, synonymous in each. The, um, we rebuilt the SDK in the wallet on JavaScript. And so you'll have a seamless um, flow from product to product when you use the wallet. You'll just sync each wallet in each browser. So the launching of that earlier this year, the crypto browser, can you dive a bit deeper into to what was that like that process? I mean, I would imagine this is something that's been worked on for, for a number of years and that type of thing. And, and what's the user experience for somebody who maybe hasn't tried out that browser? Uh, you mentioned the wallet, but then you also said some things about add-ons like VPN. Can you dive deeper into what the crypto browser is all about? Sure. So um, back in 2018, um, a colleague named Charles Hemmel, who went on to head up um, product was lead product at Ledger. Um, he had the foresight at Opera to um, build the wallet um, as a crypto enthusiast and um, you know an NFT enthusiast. He was like, God, we have the we have the users, we have the brand. What are we going to do in this blockchain space? So he built the browser. I mean, sorry, he built um, the wallet and. You know, in 2018, there was nothing to do but like collect crypto kitties, right? <laughs> like, so that's what they did. And they had these really fun um, drops with um, different NFTs. Um, and then as we moved, as the ecosystem moved to multi-chain, side-chain, and now layer two, and now after DevCon, we're talking layer three and CKP rollups, um, we have seen an opportunity to um, open up our functionality to be multi-chain and multi-wallet. So just a few um, weeks ago, right around DevCon, we launched our wallet selector feature where you can, um, you can choose between your MetaMask or your Opera or your other EVM compatible wallets um, and flow natively instead of having these add-ons. Um, and that means um, that there are benefits, safety benefits like um, malicious phishing or um, copy and pasting um, private keys and having that intercepted. So um, we've we've tried to eliminate this friction point of having users like understand or know or even care about what blockchain they're on. And, you know, this is most noticeable between Ethereum and Polygon, where you'll have to toggle between the two to see your NFTs and then panic when you realize like they're not in your Ethereum wallet, they're in your Polygon, you know, not on Ethereum chain, a main mainnet, they're on Polygon. Mm -hmm. So like in the Opera wallet, you'll be able to see all your NFTs, irrespective of chains, you'll be able to view them that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so like we're we're slowly evolving to the point where um you well we have already in the in the search bar you can put in any IPFS address um ENS domain unstoppable 
Fio Yat emoji string um, or handshake, and you can natively resolve that in the search bar. Like that's, that's so, cool. so cool, right? No so, yeah. um, like, and and the next generation will be like, yeah, like of course <laughs> we want to do that. What like, expect, what? Yeah. Of course, like IPFS, of course, interplanetary following. You know, like yeah. So, but like that isn't intuitive until today. Right. Mm. So what do you think, why, why has Opera been able to sort of, uh, you know, last through the different stages of the internet? We have, you know, web one, web two, web three. Opera's obviously been innovating you know, they managed to go through those large transitions. Why do you think that is? I think opera strength is really being nimble and test, not being afraid to test different ideas and keep it isolated from its core product at first and then moving through like full um, integration as time, you know, sees fit. Um, it's Scandinavian. It's, 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 there's a reverence towards design, a very modest executive team that's very disciplined. Um, and leaders have been around opera for many years. So they get the culture. They understand how things um, operate in, um, you know, through the decades. Um, and we also know local markets. For 25 years, we've known Kenya, Nigeria, Brazil, Germany, Poland, wherever, name it, we've been there. And, um, you know, the world is big and privacy means different things in different places. Um, regulation is different in different parts of the U.S., let alone different countries. Um, and having the strength of employees on the ground in those countries saying, yeah, you know, Visa MasterCard's not going to work here. We only use debit cards. You know, like that's just how we roll in this place. Um, that allows Opera to, you know, funnel that information upwards and make um, decisions that are applicable for that particular market. Ulf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? No, they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we? That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And back to the episode. Susie, I'm wondering about, you know, we think about the browser space and and as you just pointed out, I mean, the, the reason that Opera has been able to evolve through all the different variations of Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 is that that hyper local focus. And, and now it sounds like also the focus on specific things like like a crypto browser, like gaming specific and everything along those lines. But just in general, what's it like in the field of 
of browser competition. I mean, you've got some big names. You've got Firefox, you've got Chrome, that kind of thing. Um, what's what's that experience like? Is it just a matter of like you're not worried about what the others are doing? You're just hyper focused on on what Opera is going to take on, or or what's it like being part of that? I think there are different use cases um, for different browsers. There are different um, philosophies for different browsers and different strategies for the future. Um, Opera has chosen this multi-wallet, multi-chain um, user experience, you know, um, tactic, and we're, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it's not mutually exclusive. Um, I use three different Opera browsers. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think one fits all. Um, I do think that in terms of chains, um, you need to understand how you want to use them in order to get gain, you know, you have to understand what you want to do first to figure out what chain you want to use. So I think maybe with some browsers, it could be like that. Maybe there's, you know, some some users might not care so much as much about divulging um, private information as others. Um, you know, I think it's up to the users. And that's like a metaphor for blockchain. It's like you choose how you want to use it, what you want to use, um, your functionality will then um, determine, you know, um, and what you will, um, which one you'll choose. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's really the competition. I think everybody should be doing this. I don't know why more browsers aren't, mm -hmm. to be honest. And so on that subject of, you know, choosing chains and Opera being multi-chain in regards to the your, your crypto wallet and and how that works, can you sort of tell us more about what are those chains? You know, how many chains does Opera support right now? And I presume, but maybe you can clarify, is that going to be an expanding thing in the future where more chains are continually added? Sure. And, you know, I want to like make a more like a macro kind of backup statement. And that sure. is like, some people will say like, why are, why blockchain? Like what, why so many chains? Why does a user need so many chains? And I think first we have to talk about blockchain adoption. And, you know, there have been three distinct phases so far, the ICO boom of 2017, um, the DeFi summer 2020, you may you'll remember, and the NFT wave of 2021, which we're still sort of writing out. And, and the end of last year, there was like an estimated 300 million people owned some form of cryptocurrency, currency, mostly from DeFi and NFTs. So we're seeing this big growth of use um, we're seeing that it's not just Ethereum like it was five years ago. Um, and we're seeing different ways um, that side chains uh, uh, eliminate uh, friction and settlement. And um, But what we haven't seen yet is a native Web3 approach from any major consumer brand. Um, so we're, we're still seeing the need for Web2 architecture um, to 
facilitate or um, we're waiting for them to, for that web two architecture to upend and replace um, with a web three tech stack. So I think until that happens, we'll need um, this, the, the lessons learned and the infrastructure of web two to access the web three um, utility and yeah. the enter blockchain. I'm curious, kind of going back to you know your time with with consensus, and I think I heard you say at some point that you used to maybe be a bit of an an ETH maxi, or at least that was kind of your number one focus. And so for you personally, I think this is a really interesting point. We've talked on a lot of episodes about maximalism in the space, whether it's Bitcoin maximalism, ETH maximalism, and and just kind of diving into that, how, you know, we often I have our own personal views where we don't necessarily think that's the best thing for the space. We think it like the, the future is pro- probably multi-chain as Opera has clearly taken that position as well. But what I'm curious from you, Susie, is what got you past that point? So if you were somebody who was, you know, ETH focused, that was kind of your number one thing. What kind of opened your mind to the possibility of, of these other blockchains having a role as well? I think um, I felt it in, in my wallet. Literally, like, remember when gas fees were like 75, you know, oh, yeah. dollars for oh, like, yeah. just to do a trance, it was just, um, so then everybody kind of migrated to polygon, polygon and, um, you know, near entered in with the, with nearly zero or they would, um, you know, transaction fees or they, when you opened their wallet, they would, um, you know, pad it so that you could make your transactions free. Um, and then Aurora, of course. So I think what enabled, um, I, I mean, I, I just realized that um, Ethereum would would be the, uh, the settlement layer, but we could use different side chains. Um, and then, you know, there are also layer twos that have been evolving um, to, so it didn't hurt so much. <laughs> it was it was really expensive. Um, but now we're seeing use cases where video or photography or you know that stored on the blockchain is different on different chains. Um, UI UX, um, the number of nodes, the number of um, um, you know how the the infrastructure is. Um, laid out validators, you know, like you can choose between how decentralized a particular chain is if that really matters to you, you know, Solana versus Near or Elrond versus Solana or, you know, like, and, and how dApps interact with those chains are really important and, and how devs are building on them. And that's why I love going to these conferences um, because you get to see who is building on what chains, what type of innovation is happening real time in these hackathons. Um, And you, um, you get a different aha moment, like every, every time you attend. On that note, uh, like you mentioned before that DevCon is your favorite conference to go to. And so I'm curious, what, how was this year's DevCon? What was the biggest takeaway? And, and you know, why do you love DevCon so much out of all the conferences? Yeah, so DevCon is developer conference um, started with uh, Ethereum um, 
I don't know, I guess 2014 or no, maybe not that long ago, um, 2015. Um, and it's always a celebration of an exchange of ideas. It's not a competitive environment. Um, it is really like, how do we get in a decentralized um, work environment and a decentralized blockchain, how do we get on the same page and roadmap out, in, you know, integrations, progression, um, future EIPs? And there's so much um, diversity. So whether you're a gamer or you're working on a social graph or you're a music aficionado or you want to save the Colombian rainforests, um, and, uh, you know, which there was a region, a huge region finance area at DevCon this year. Um, it, it it speaks to me um, and the block and the ecosystem in general just as being so diverse. Um, and it's just like, it's great when people you work with are, are also your friends. And, you know, with COVID, we didn't get to see each other for a couple of years. And we, you know, so many new people have entered the space and so many new faces um, that this year was particularly poignant because of course the merge um, and we got to celebrate that in person. And Jonathan Mann's Panda song was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you gotta look that up on YouTube. Um, and we just, this year there was a lot of side chains in layer two talk and the layer three talk with ZKP rollups, which is the first time I had heard of, of that term. Um, so I, I always love it. Plus there's so many social impact um, you know, women in blockchain and, and Shifi, um, you know, discussions that I, I just find it so juvenile. It's, it's also one of the only conferences where um, I get to learn and listen and not be shilling or speaking or at the booth, you know, like you could really be a student again. That reference to layer three, that's the first time I've heard of it as well. Do you have just kind of like a like not not getting too deep into it, but just a high level of of what that means? I mean, is that just the progression that there will be more and more layers for scaling solutions? Yeah. So if you Google or Opera, <laughs> um, uh, Vitalik <laughs> and um, DevCon ZKP, you'll hear him talk about the evolution he sees with a mobile phone is like running your own node on mm. your phone using like ZKP too um, as a, a, another layer on top. But, you know, I can't explain anything um, as <laughs> like Vitalik can. So certainly search for that um, and, and listen, but it's very compelling. And I always love hearing what Vitalik thinks is next. I mean, I I remember being at a, um, a hackathon where he talked about um, swaps. And I think Hayden Adams was, was there hacking and th that gave birth to Uniswap. Wow. Like that's how beautiful you, when you're there, you're like, oh my God, I was there. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> come up with that idea. So interesting. Yeah. And, and we're the same way. I mean, you know, we hear, 
any one of our guests talk about certain things and then to re-explain these things is very difficult. It's like, just go watch that conversation. Go watch the actual thing. Uh, One thing I want to ask about, so this episode is being released on Monday, November 7th. And my understanding is by the time that this is out, there will be some big news regarding something called DGEN Knows. Can you dive a little deeper into what that's all about? Yeah. So, you know, Web3 will... um, brings in the creator economy. And what we want to do at Opera is be a part of that and allow our users around the world to experience NFTs the way they should be experienced, which is like, you should be able to create them. But there's so much friction and so much like ambiguity around how to do that, um, that we are, we've come up with different creator tools. um, And, um, but the first step is, um, this product that we um, started like kind of in a basement kind of situation. Um, and it's an NFT analytics tool. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to um, dig deep into different NFT collections and white papers to um, it like, it's sort of like a Bloomberg, but for NFTs, mm-hmm. it's like uh, um, um, like a monitoring um, it scrapes all on-chain data and packages it in a way that you can query like even, you know, like wallets that have the most board apes or wallets that are showing board apes plus um, up and coming collections that maybe you hadn't heard of. So I've used it to buy new NFTs. Um, and it shows like the propensity also for like whitewashing and how much traffic is going in and out of certain select uh, collections. It's just like one of those eye-opening tools where you're like, whoa, do I, you know, like, what am I going to do with all this information? <laughs> and so it's fun to just kind of click around and, um, and dive into, various collections and see what you want to buy because there's a price point for everyone. I mean, Bored Apes is just beyond, you know, um, so many people, um, their wallets. Um, So uh, it's an analytics tool and we'll be launching that at NFT London with an hour workshop on all things crypto um, in the browser. And and then we'll also be launching uh, the NFT widget which allows you to drop down um, without starting up a different page or a different tab um, so that you can read about the collection and um, understand like when it was launched, how many are in the collection, um, what is the average price point, you know, um, and things like that. And then we'll be moving into um, the, the creator tool um, by Art Basel. And so that's all just going to be uh, like baked in native in the browser. And is any of this like, you know, yeah. paid for or is this all uh, free with the browser? It's free. It's all free. That's so it's awesome. VPN. That's yeah. Awesome. It's like a really, um, I, give it a go. Um, DGenknows.io is the um, site, but then you can also try the NFT widget. One thing I'm interested or curious about, Susie, is... 
you know, your, your kind of entry point in the timeline, right? So we talked about being with consensus kind of like 2017, 2018. And like, if we follow that along, like the, the bull bear markets, you, one of the cool things is you were in the space during a time, the bear market, the last bear market, which was tough. And a lot of people left during that time and then joining opera two years ago, that was kind of like right at the start of a new bull market. And now we're, and, and you talked about, you know, you talked about DeFi summer, you talked about the NFT boom of 2021. So one of the questions we like to ask a lot of our guests is, is just advice for those who are maybe experiencing their first bear market and why they should stick around the space, even though it's, it's a bit grim when you look at the portfolio and everything along those lines. Uh, you know, I, it's it's not emotional like it was the first time it's sort of like your first breakup it's like devastating <laughs> and horrendous and i'll never be in love again but it's you know you, <laughs> you um you, it's an evolution and i think there are growing pains and i mean to be honest the whole market is in the toilet like every every market is in the toilet so um I would be measured and, um, you know, I, I, the, I only buy. So like, what kind of advice do I have? Like, <laughs> I just, I just buy and hodl and I have a ton of stuff that's random and stuff that's doing really well still. But what animates me is just what I can do with things and, um, what I can do with the tokens and, and the technology and what I see, is coming down the pike from my vantage point. And um, it gives me hope, uh, not just hope, but it's like, that's how the future is going to roll. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, um, I'm not a trader. So I have a different long-term, you know, horizon. Crypto bear market aside, you know, that they come and they go, right? There's bear markets, there's bull markets. Inevitably, bull markets do, they, they pull people in. That's when the, the whole um, industry gets a lot more attention. But when do you think we'll reach sort of mass adoption in the crypto space? Obviously, it's it's ever growing. But, you know, what does mass adoption mean? Obviously, Opera is helping to push that along and bring people in. How long do you think it might take? You know, we didn't we didn't really know that the NFT wave in 2021 would be so big, um, and that you know, JPEGs of apes would be so <laughs> profitable. I, I, you know, I I kind of think that music is going to be the the huge entry point for normies because it's it you don't need to know crypto to love it. And yet there's so many use cases for music. And you had a guest on um, uh, earlier, I think this month about with music NFTs. Um, yeah, we have, we've had a few over the summer. Yeah. So we've been lucky to talk to a few guests about music yeah. NFTs. I think yeah. you guys are spot on. And um, the reason being, you know, everyone connects with music. Everyone has, um, you know, music is emotional. It's, uh, you can still collect it. You want to be close to, you, you know, it, it represents maybe a time in, in space um, and friendships and memories and feelings that are 
uh, ethereal and um, you want to get closer to the artists, you want to learn more about them, you know, um, and you can do that through this technology um, that um, will not only benefit the, the artists um, with peer-to-peer -peer transactions, but also um, with collectibles and gated communities um, and access to concerts and freebies, um, swag and things like that. You know, gone are the days, um, hopefully, where you get really bad swag at concerts <laughs> that are, you know, just like not even really made by the artists, um, but that you can custom make things or put it on an LVMH bag or, you know, you know, buy a token and then redeem it at a concert and go backstage because you've been a fan for 25 years. So I like to see um, those types of ticketing options uh, and um, experiential um, opportunities, which don't exist right now. And I think you'll need blockchain for that. And that will be an entry point for, for, you know, I think music will be the entry point for normies. Yeah, well said. Susie, this has been such a, a great conversation, super interesting, like a lot of, of points that I think are just going to be really beneficial for our audience. But before we let you go, there's a little segment that we have at the end of every show, we ask the same guests or every guest the same three questions in a segment we call you had me at crypto. Alf is going to ask you those three questions. Ready? Love it. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. The first question is, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Um, my favorite person to follow? Um, I would say, um, well, I think Denison Bertram is hilarious. Um, Tally. And um, he's just, if you get to meet him in person, he's even funnier. He's one of like, definitely pithy and like, sometimes you know, irreverent. Um, yeah, like definitely fun to, to follow. Awesome. Awesome. Kevin right. Owaki too. Kevin Owaki of Gitcoin. Nice. Green pill. We had, we had the pleasure of chatting with, with Denison on a, a, a when was that a year ago or something like that? Yeah, I guess so. He was talking about DAOs and yeah, all the tools that Tally does, but you're right. He just has these like, right. He, loved it. he goes on these tangents and he's just yelling he's and like, like philosopher yeah. King. He's yeah. like, <laughs> you should have seen him at DevCon. He, they were all on beanbags in the parking garage. There was like a whole hacker's house in the parking garage of this like thing, this establishment. And like, everybody was just like, <laughs> listening and he was just like like philosopher king he's awesome love it love it go check out that episode um all right second question what will the price of bitcoin be 10 years from now oh god uh, 10 years out 10 years out this isn't you know this is not not financial advice anything like that it's just yeah. a, a hail mary hail mary here uh you know i'm gonna say it's like price is right. I'm going to say 2300. No, 23230000 Okay. 230, 230, 230, I was I wanted to use the number 
Awesome. Well, uh, we'll check back in 10 years and see how close you are. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Third question. What is the most underrated coin or project in all of crypto? I am going to say Elrond. I mean, the e-gold right now. Nice. Yeah. Um, you know, just on the heels of going to Elrond X Day, um, I'll be a keynote there. So yes, um, I, I, it's front of mind right now. Um, they are integrating um, their blockchain with um, BMW and another car, and like they've got really innovative use cases. Um, an incredible tech team and tech stack. And great BD, their number one, one of the, I think like the number one and two, number one or two chain in um, in France, hence why X Day will be in Paris. Um, but I just, the, I just get like, a, I just see the, the tech um, being really robust. Um, some really talented Romanian devs there. Love it. Great answers. You, you did a good job on that three-question gauntlet. Well done, Susie. Ah! And thank you so much for joining Alf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thank you, guys. Thank I really you. appreciate having me and um, happy Halloween. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.